Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. He cares and he gives. And one of the ways this world will know that he cares is if you and I, if we know him and love him, go and extend that caring hand to somebody who needs it. We then embody that truth, not just in words, but we do it in action. What comes to mind when you think of God? Many Christians focus solely on God's power and forget about his role as our creator and friend. We often assume that the normal day-to-day events of our lives and our happiness is trivial to God. But is that true? Is God concerned about human happiness? Welcome back to Just Thinking as we return to Columbia University, where Ravi Zacharias shares the answer to this question. Let's rejoin them now. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Good. Good. I'll find out in a minute. Go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I got a lot from what you said tonight. So thanks, thanks so much. Starters. But uh, there's been, there's been a, a question that's, uh, that's really simple and it's been troubling, troubling me for some time. And it's just that, um, you know, for God to be the creator, your father, your friend, uh, is he at all concerned about your happiness? Great question. That is, um, there's a book that I have written called The Cries of the Heart, in which I raise one chapter on that very almost verbatim the way you have raised it. And it comes uh, from the mouth of Job. And it also comes in the New Testament where the person talks about one being born blind, you know. Does God really feel? You know, there is such a thing as um, the... um, Theologians will talk about the passivity of God, that somehow God is distant in his feeling response to you and me and whether he is concerned about what uh, happens in this world. I would suggest uh, to you that um, if you're able to pick that up, go through it in detail, but let me respond as briefly as I can and somehow touch the nerve of your question. It is this, that When we use language, we use it in three ways. Thomas Aquinas reminded us of this. We use language univocally, we use language equivocally, we use language analogically. Let me explain the terms. When we use language univocally, we are meaning the same thing when we use the word in two different sentences. If I say that I love you, and I say my brother loves you too, you will understand the word to basically mean the same thing. You won't start probing it unless you have questions of the way that has been expressed. You're not going to say, I wonder if these mean two different things. No, it's a univocal usage, one-on-one. Now, an equivocal use of the same illustration be something like this, as I illustrated before. If you ask me, are you a good tennis player? And I say yes. And... Uh, a few hours later, you're on a plane and somebody's sitting next to you. You say, what's your name? And he says, I'm Roger Federer. And you say, what do you do for a living, sir? He says, I play tennis. And you say, are you a good 
player, Mr. Federer? And he says, yes, I'm a good player. You'd make a huge mistake in saying, I think you need to play Ravi Zacharias because uh, he also says he's a good player. It's the same word, but a completely different context. And so it's a different context, giving it a whole new meaning of uh, what it means uh, to be a good tennis player. So you use it univocally, you use it equivocally, but then you also use it analogically. When I tell you that God loves you, and then I tell you I love you, it's the same word, but has a different implication. When I love you and you refuse to love me, I hurt because I have lost something. When God loves you and you refuse to love God, God hurts too. God hurts because you have lost something. That's the analogical use. He is concerned. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross. The Bible tells how Jesus went to the top of a mountain and he looked at a city and he wept over it. When he saw his friend Lazarus was dead, he wept over that. But remember this. The God who created you and me is the same God who is able to restore you and me. So when I see somebody who's lost his life, I would weep for a completely different reason because I cannot restore that life. But when Christ wept, he knew he was going to restore the life of Lazarus, but he wept for you and for me, knowing the pain that comes from observing death and observing separation, even though he was going to restore that life. So the, the concern is there with the power to restore that which was lost. And when you are in pain or suffering or whatever it is, that same God gives you the strength to endure it. I lost my mother fairly young in life. I lost my father fairly young in life and I've had uh, some serious issues that I've had to wrestle with even physically as I stand before you. I've got two metal rods holding my back up, which I injured very seriously some years ago. And I found through all of this, his grace is sufficient. A woman who was blind and cancerous and arthritic and uh, orphaned wrote these words. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater he sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He cares and he gives. And one of the ways this world will know that he cares is if you and I, if we know him and love him, go and extend that caring hand to somebody who needs it. We then embody that truth, not just in words, but we do it in action. You mentioned earlier about that the number of people who are beginning to follow Christ in China and also in India, which is a complete blessing. You also alluded to, and other people have said that the church is, in quotes, dying in Europe, or certainly the number of people following Christ is declining. A two-part question. One, what's your opinion about the state of the church in the U.S.? And is there some larger statement that you could uh, make about these supposed trends across the world? Unfortunately, uh, you may not like what I'm going to say here. I hope uh, I don't offend anybody. The problem with America today is not America, it's the church. We have become very shallow as Christians, very shallow. We have become masters at engineering feelings without much thought. There's very little thinking that goes on in church. We 
repeat things, parrot things. We have not taught our faith through. We have not listened to others and what their questions are. Our, our answers are very shallow. In trying to become seeker friendly, we have become message unfriendly. We have no real depth to what we are trying to teach and speak. Life has got its jagged edges against us and we are giving simplistic answers. Somewhere we fell into the trap of believing that music is everything, forgetting it is only one thing and that teaching and ideas are important and an expenditure of words without an income of ideas will lead to conceptual bankruptcy. And we are so conceptually bankrupt on this. We cannot really explain these things. And until the church wakes up to what our message is and thinks deeply about these things, we will slip deeper and deeper into parroting phrases that have very little difference in our lifestyles. So I think that is a real problem. But on the other side of it, there are young people today, men and women like yourselves and students here, who long to come into the church to think. And if we would only recognize and respect that. You know, I've had 12, 13 year old ask me more profound questions than many others ever had. And they are not finding answers being given to them. So that's a reality. When you look, for example, at the European scene, Europe is living under an illusion that it is expelling religion. Nature abhors a vacuum. Europe will not be irreligious for long. Another religion will take over and completely change their culture. And the reason is, the religion that was given by choice is being evicted till a religion that probably doesn't give them a choice will take over. Man is, uh, Prince Charles has said when he becomes uh, the monarch, he's going to be calling himself the defender of the faiths, plural, rather than defender of the faith. Well, if that's what he is going to do, England is going to have to rethink what its future is going to look like. France is in trouble that way. Germany is in trouble that way. The world is going to be dramatically affected by two nations in the next few years, China and India. I was speaking at Tsinghua University in Beijing, University of Beijing, and speaking to business scholars and so on. They took me to the Forbidden City, just contiguous to Tiananmen Square. Walked past it, first gate, many yards, second gate, many yards, third gate, many yards, fourth gate, fifth gate, and I arrived there and I saw a banner, Merry Christmas. <laughs> While here in New Jersey, one woman made it impossible to even play Christmas tunes at Christmas time because the tunes offended her. We went to Beijing and they wished me a Merry Christmas in the Forbidden City. These kinds of things are happening in Korea. The church is really thriving, Singapore, um, and uh, in India too, a lot of response now. Am I therefore giving up hope for America? No, I think America's resilience will come to the fore again. I was speaking to the state legislature of Florida and it's interesting the questions they ask you. I spoke to the African heads of state and even President Mugabe came over to me and shook my hand. I'd spoken on four thoughts of eternity, morality, accountability and charity. And he wanted to talk to me about that. The implications, when I spoke at the United Nations, the ambassadors were lined up and the president of the UN came and said, would you like to please come to my room and pray for us? World leaders don't have answers anymore. And I think America's youth will rise to the occasion 
and men and women like you and students like you will come through. But it'll have to be a passionate, thoughtful Christianity, not a mindless, emotive one. That has no staying power. I think it'll happen. We hope today's broadcast has been encouraging to you and will help equip you to answer some of the difficult questions your friends, coworkers, and family members might be asking. Today's broadcast features a portion of the Q&A from the DVD Columbia University Q&A Volume 4. And if you'd like to order it, be sure to call us at 1-800-448-6766. And if you'd like to dig deeper into specific topics, be sure to visit our website, where you can search our archives by keyword and find content to read, listen to, or watch. Learn more about the ministry of RZIM and our speakers around the globe by visiting us online at rzim.org or rzim.ca in Canada. We love hearing from you, and we hope you'll share your comments, questions, and prayer requests with us by emailing us at radio at rzim.org. And when you contact us, be sure to let us know which radio station you're listening to. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by RZIM in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for joining us this week. Tune in again on Monday for more questions and answers. Until then, keep thinking. Keep thinking.